Welcome to another episode of the Better Value, Better Business podcast. I am Alexandra Stacey. I had hoped to move on to discuss more great general applications of value, but then I realised that there was one more glaringly valuable commodity that I hadn't yet presented to you, and that is time. As a business owner or marketeer, you need to know what are your customers' attitudes to time. So I thought I would start with a few observations about time that famous people have said. So Steve Jobs said, the most precious resource we all have is time. Warren Zevin said, we love to buy books because we believe we're buying the time to read them. But then again, a watched pot never boils. Whereas ancient Roman Stoic philosopher Seneca said, life, if well lived, is long enough. And we have all heard the statement, time is money. These appear to be five different perspectives. So just what is going on here? How can they all be right at the same time? So by the end of this podcast, you will understand a lot more about humans' strange relationship with time. And you need to know about how your customers experience time with your product and service. Let's look at the time is money statement. Why would time be compared to money? So what is money like? So the qualitative value of money is its sameness and consistency. It is regular and can be substituted easily. It is theoretically a store of value. If anyone remembers the story of Paddington Bear, who is horrified to discover when he goes to the bank to withdraw his three pence that it isn't exactly the same coins as he originally deposited. But we in the real world accept that the notes and coins and digital amounts on our screens are completely interchangeable. And this interchangeability is termed fungibility. We can swap and change with no detrimental effect or loss of monetary value. We can swap time for money and buy time and convenience. So it is changeable in that sense. But time doesn't have the regularity of money. Time can't always be swapped for a different bit of time. If you save a bit of time by catching a faster train, but then your connecting train doesn't leave for an hour anyway, You aren't able to bank that saved hour to spend at your destination. That hour is constrained to be spent between journeys. So it isn't like money in that way because it can't be banked for later. But is the value of time constant like money? Or does it depend on the contextual characteristics of the decision situation? So there is a well-known theory of time that equates the value of time to its opportunity cost. So according to this model, the value of time, at least for a short period such as a few hours, it's a constant. That is, the cost of waiting is a linear function of time. So this assumes that the value of time is not influenced by the outcomes as long as the best alternative use of time is unaffected. So I am not a mathematician by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm going to try and explain the words that have just come out of my mouth. So it is saying that it makes no difference if the time periods are 30 minutes or four hours. 
For, for example, suppose you are waiting in line at a shop or a ticket counter. The cost of waiting here could be the time you spend standing in the queue. If the cost of waiting is a linear function of time, it means that every minute you spend waiting has the same cost in terms of your time and the value you could have derived from using that time elsewhere. However, there is another more recent theory called prospect theory, which predicts that the value of time is subject to context effects, such as the estimation and evaluation of potential gains and losses. So losses have a greater psychological impact than equivalent gains. And it has been found that consumers are consistently risk averse when making time related decisions, as opposed to money related decisions. Another feature of time is the concept of saving time by multi-layering tasks, or what we call multitasking. A 2010 study showed that US consumers on average undertook 43 hours of activities through multitasking in a 24-hour day. And 16 of those multitasking hours consist of interaction with media and technology. Studies in the tourism industry have also shown that the value of time is different for different groups of people. For people who are wealthy, have a fixed working schedule and a large household to coordinate, they value summer leisure more highly than those who aren't. Workers often expect to get paid more if they work antisocial hours because of the opportunity cost of missing out on a social life and regular sleep patterns. So there is a recognition across society that there are different values of time segments. There are huge amounts of investment going into extending the human lifespan. Tech entrepreneurs are investing into enterprises to fight the aging process. This research is into supplements, strict diets, fasting, exercise, cell rejuvenation, genetics, cryotherapies and disease fighting drugs. And the story of tech CEO Brian Johnson is fascinating. He has already lived 45 years, but his anti-aging routine, according to his team of doctors, has given him the heart health of a 37-year-old, skin of a 28-year-old, and lung capacity of an 18-year-old. In a Western-style culture, we tend to have a linear view of time. It is difficult for me to imagine that prior to the 14th century and the development of clocks with the imposed abstract character of constituting time units in hours, minutes and seconds, that time was more of a social form. I understand that the ancient Roman time counting system was just subdivided into the same number of parts within the hours of daylight. So summertime must have felt very different from wintertime. But our clock time since the Industrial Revolution is obsessed with pace and today has evolved into discrete eight-hour chunks of work, eight hours of leisure or non-work and eight hours of sleep, punctuated by weekends and yearly holiday periods, which has created very distinctive chunks of time to be spent in different spaces and practices. So back to Brian Johnson he is probably gaining some lifespan. And this is an example of his diet. 
He eats a mix of broccoli, cauliflower, black lentils, mushroom, garlic and ginger, followed by nuts, berries and seeds and 15 grams of dark chocolate. He has said he plans to continue his regimen forever. As delicious as that sounds, I expect many of you are thinking that will feel like forever without other food group pleasures. And I have also heard people say that they don't value the end bit of their lives, which they envisage as being tricky or uncomfortable, and they don't value those bits as much as the earlier parts of their life. Which shows we view our lifespan and time in distinctive chunks. And this takes us back to the quote of Seneca's saying of life, Life, if well lived, is long enough. He has identified that the quality of life, not the quantity of it, is important. Time flies when you are enjoying yourself, is another old adage. The subjective experience of time often differs markedly from the progression of objective clock time. People often have difficulty estimating elapsed time. Einstein said that people like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between past, present and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. But for non-PLUs, it is more useful to speak about psychological time. There is a high-level flow to time perception, which is the experiential phenomenon of the past, present and future, and also a low-level flow of time happening, which includes spatial change or motion. There is a theory that this low-level component of the flow of time is a perceptual illusion. Imagine your brain has processing epochs, frames or snapshots that receive at a certain frequency. Apparent motion and changes of position are painted onto a single snapshot. This was tested by increasing the interval between frames of video scenes presented for 100 milliseconds. As the interval increased, fewer and fewer people could perceive it happening. The flow time, i.e. events, they begin to be lost at around 3 seconds to around 7 seconds. Another theory is that three seconds is that interval during which the closed mind opens up for new information from the environment, an interval during which the brain can differentiate future from past. Here is another saying, a watched pot never boils. The resources one allocates to estimating time also influences how individuals estimate it. Our attention is limited such that If we direct attention to external cues, then we have fewer remaining resources for time estimation. So how is time estimated? I'm going to explain a time estimation model. This one is called an attentional resource allocation model. It describes how attention and other cognitive components affect how individuals estimate time's passing. It is better viewed as a diagram, but I will explain the main interactions. So, in general, a pacemaker in the human brain produces pulses at a steady rate, and arousal causes variations in this rate. When a person attends to time, 
an attentional gate is opened and the stream of pulses from the pacemaker is sent to a form of cognitive counter. The pulses recorded by the cognitive counter can be transferred to working memory when attention is directed toward time. As working memory records the pulses that have been counted during the current period, reference memory stores the average number of pulses that have been counted with past, similar waiting experiences. The final step of the time estimation process occurs when an individual compares the pulse count stored in working memory with the average count stored in reference memory and then estimates the time that has passed based on this comparison. From an attentional gate perspective, the redirection of cognitive resources away from the tracking of time means that the attentional gate closes which results in fewer pulses in the cognitive counter. Further, this redirection disrupts the transfer of pulses from the cognitive counter to working memory. So time perception research suggests that individuals will experience considerable uncertainty while waiting if they do not have information about the duration of the wait. And this uncertainty builds as the wait increases. And This perceived uncertainty represents ambiguity or lack of confidence in the likelihood that an event will occur. It has been suggested that providing wait duration information can reduce the uncertainty associated with waiting, which enables an individual to focus less on the wait, that is a closing of the attentional gate. For an example, An individual may feel uncertain while waiting for a delayed flight if the airline provides them without any information about the delay. But providing information about the wait duration, e.g. the expected arrival time of the delayed flight, may reduce their uncertainty and the need to obtain information about the wait time. And back to the money comparison. It has been found that the importance of being able to plan is more important for time than money. And another way to divert attentional resources is to distract people with other stimuli. For instance, music is played when you're put on hold on a phone call or mirrors put in lifts to distract you. We need to remember that consumers might be experiencing a different quality of time to the provider of that service. Indeed, they might be seeking what is called flow experiences, such as studying or holidaying, when thinking of clock time is not required. Shopping has a hedonic value for some consumers. People have said things such as, I enjoyed being immersed in exciting new products. Or, while shopping I felt a sense of adventure. Casinos famously didn't have clocks on the walls as they recognised their punters were in an immersive experience. So as a business provider, you need to recognise how your customers perceive time. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it and that you will join me next time where I have a special guest who will talk about what she discovered in her research. (laughs) 